lady who's here today. I pray that you will encourage us through principles we learn from your word. In your name, amen. Well, there was a guy who took his vacation and he asked his brother to watch his house. And then after a few days while he was away, he called back to check in. He said, how's, how's everything back home? Oh, it's okay, but your cat died. Well, man, you didn't have to ruin my vacation. You, you should have kind of told me she was, you know, on the roof. And then a few days later, she's getting weak. And then, then you could have told me that she died. And the brother said, well, I'm sorry I didn't think about doing that. So a few days passed, and the guy called back again to check in with home. And he said, so how's everything now? Okay, but mom's on the roof. <clears throat> <laughs> All right, so some people, what can I say? All right, I love this verse from Psalm 37. 23, which reads, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. It's so easy to become discouraged on past failures and struggles and mistakes, but we need to learn from our mistakes that we've made and press on because really life is a series of new beginnings. The people of Israel had been deeply discouraged after the defeat at AI, as we saw last week. And it's easy to dwell on the negative things that have happened. And that often gives way to fear of what more things are going to happen. In the case of Israel, they dealt with the sin that was in their camp. And now it was time to press on and do the next thing. So it was with the power of God that the great city of Jericho had been taken in chapter 6. Uh, without his power, though, not even the smallest community, which AI was a lot smaller, uh, they couldn't even defeat that city without the help of God and dependence on him. And the same is true for us today. So, victory at AI. And I know how into war games you all are, playing Fortnite every chance you get. No, not really. So, now the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise, go up to Ai, See, I have given it into your hand, the king of Ai, his people, his city, his land. You shall do to Ai and its king just as you did to Jericho and its king. You shall take only its spoil and its cattle as plunder for yourselves. Set an ambush for the city behind it. Now stop there. So it is with great encouragement that God now speaks directly to Joshua. After being so discouraged, Joshua hears the new instructions, he believes what God is telling him to do, and he is told not to be afraid. God said the same thing to him back in chapter 1, verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So like Joshua, we must take time to hear the word of God and then actually believe it and obey it. Certainly Joshua already knew this truth, yet like him, we all need to be reminded of truth from God's word. Joshua here is given assurance that God would give the city and the king into the hands of the Israelites. So notice Joshua is told to take all the people of war with him. The only way for their victory to be victory is by following the Lord's instructions exactly. Joshua wasn't going to take the word of a few spies regarding what should be done, as we saw last week. Once the fierce wrath of God towards the sin of Achan had been dealt with, 
Uh, God's wrath turned away, and now God gives specific and clear instructions to Joshua. Clearly, Joshua was afraid and dismayed. That's why God said, don't be dismayed and afraid, because he was. With great confidence and assurance, the one who is the captain of the hosts of the Lord, we met in in the other week, um, now he's giving very specific instructions of what to do. It was time to move on from the past failure and begin again. Certainly, this is true for each of us in this journey called life. There are times of spiritual defeat and discouragement that come our way, and it's easy to become paralyzed by our sin and just not move forward. Well, like Israel, we must deal with the sin, turn from it, and then begin anew once again. Unlike the command regarding Jericho, Israel would not be allowed to take where they couldn't take the spoil. Now they will be allowed to take from the city of Ai. How pointless when you think back last week to Achan and his covetous heart taking what he was not allowed to take. Uh, If he'd only waited, he would have experienced being able to take the spoils of war. God is generous. God provides. God is good. And when people lose sight of that truth, covetousness can be something that overwhelms them. It's always the right thing to do when we obey God and do what he tells us to do. Had Achan said no to that temptation, things would have been so different for he and his family. Well, in verses 3 and 4, God then directs Joshua to take the entire army up to war against Ai. Israel's restored to fellowship, and now they're starting afresh and anew. And this, t- this was a very difficult climb up to the city. The ascent is about 3,200 feet. It was 15-ish miles away. No doubt the men who had run down this slope for their lives and had their 36 fellow soldiers slain in the process must have been a tough climb for them back up to Ai. But God had assured Joshua victory, but this was very unlike Jericho where they just marched around once a day, you know, for six days and then the seventh day twice and blew the horn and all that, this was a much more hands-on battle. God doesn't have only one method for doing things. His ways are limitless. His methods are limitless. He never wants his children to trust in their own skills or their own personal experience alone, but rather on his word and on his promises. The victory that would come in this battle involved heavy combat. This was to be an attack on AI involving a covert night operation that would then prepare the way for battle the next day. He commanded them saying, see, you are going to ambush the city, ambush the city from behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out to meet us as at the first, you know, when we were defeated, uh, we will flee before them. So the strategy, very specifically, that God gave to Joshua for taking Ai was the opposite of Jericho. God divided the army for the attack. Joshua and his men would obey that plan, put the ambush, and then lure the men of the city out of Ai. One should never depend on past victories as we plan for the future. God does things differently. This strategy was effective as it was based, when you think about it, it was based on the failure of what happened last time. I I love, I mean, the principle God uses all things for his purposes and for his glory. I mean, it was a defeat as they ran away, but that was the setup for this time 
to lure the people out of the city. So God was bringing all this about to bring victory. And once the ambush was set in place, Joshua with his soldiers would approach the city, lead the soldiers out of the city in hot pursuit of them. No doubt Ai's army would feel pretty confident about their skills because last time they all went running down the descent and they were just killing who they could kill. Verse 6, they, can, they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city, for they will say, they are fleeing before us just as at the first, so we will flee before them. And you shall rise from your ambush and take possession of the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And then it will be when you've seized the city that you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them on their way, each to their own specific place, uh, to set up the ambush. Some remained in Bethel and, uh, between Bethel and Ai on the west side, and Joshua spent the night, as you read, among the people. So we read a small group of 30 men of valor, like a special forces unit, uh, were to hide west of the city and be ready for the signal and then their advance. And as the city would be deserted by soldiers, then they would enter in and destroy and burn it. So the night before, Joshua and his soldiers are there <clears throat> setting up the ambush. Uh, and then another 5,000 men, you read in verse 12, between Ai and Bethel were there as well in their location, ready for the next day. Once the army of Ai left their home, thinking they were going to defeat Israel, the special forces seized the city and set it on fire. And the army of Ai was caught between all of these soldiers all around them. The victory from the Lord required a great deal of planning and strategy this time. And when we are busy serving the Lord, in whatever capacity he's given you to do so, with your husband if you're married, or with your children if you're raising them, or in your church ministry where you're involved, we're not just to sit around and do nothing and wait for God, I don't know, to do something amazing. We need to gather facts and make plans, listen to messages, have a strategy how we can serve him best for the capacity that he's given us to do the thing he's given us to do. Well, I love the fact that Joshua spent the night with the soldiers that he was leading. His presence with them would have been an encouragement to all of them and a reminder that we must trust the Lord and his word. A good leader leads by example and doesn't try to protect themselves from harm's way. Joshua was following the orders of the captain of the Lord of hosts, knowing that he would go before them into battle. As one person put it, leadership demands planning, and planning is an important part of strategy. And that brings us to the destruction of AI, verses 10 and following. Now Joshua rose up early in the morning, mustered the people, and he went up with the elders of Israel before the people of Ai. Then all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near and arrived at the front of the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now there was a valley between him and Ai, and he took about 5,000 men, set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. So they stationed the people, all the army that was on the north side of the city and its rear guard on the west side of the city, and as we saw, Joshua spent the night there in the valley. So as the sun came up that next morning, as King Ai looks out and sees everybody ready to attack, he, with a false sense of self-confidence, heads out to battle. He didn't send out any scouts to check it out. He just figures this is a quick and easy defeat once again. 
So the plan God had given Joshua worked perfectly. And it came about when the king of Ai saw it that the men of the city hurried, rose up early, went out to meet the Israelites in battle, he and all of his people at the appointed place before the desert plain, but he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. So when the king saw the army, he took the bait, as one author put it, and this is so true, uh, they are the most in danger who are the least aware of it. How often that's true uh, for our children, for those that we love, we just don't even realize. They are the most in danger who are the least aware of that they're in danger. So with a false sense of self-confidence, the king headed out to battle. He went after Israel, who ran the other way, and Joshua led them away from the city. This was a test for Israel to have courage and to actually believe and do what God said, and they did obey. We read in verse 18, then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin that's in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. So he stretched out the javelin that was on in his hand toward the city. So apparently Joshua, as he obeyed, there was this prearranged signal of raising up his javelin. And the ambushed army quickly entered the city then and set it on fire. And we see in verse 20 that once the men of Ai looked back and saw all of the smoke from the fire, they were obviously in a great panic at that moment. And when they turned back, they looked, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to the sky, and they had no place to flee this way or that, for the people who had been fleeing to the wilderness turned against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the men in ambush had captured the city and that the smoke ascended, they turned back, slew them until no one was left who survived or escaped. But they took alive the king of Ai and brought him to Joshua. So when the army of Ai saw the smoke, obviously they knew they were, it was over. With no way to turn, soldiers of Israel were closing in on every side. And it was a short time before they were all slain. Only the king was spared that for the moment uh, of death because he would be hanged. We read that about 12,000 people from Ai were killed in this battle and destruction of the city. Verse 26, for Joshua did not withdraw his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Israel took only the cattle and the spoil of that city as plunder for themselves according to the word of the Lord commanded by Joshua. So before we go on, I just want to remind you, and especially if you've come in late to the study, that the killing of men, women, and children is not a random act of God or people with bad tempers. God had patiently waited for hundreds and hundreds of years for the people in the land of Canaan to turn from their vile, wicked ways of burning their own babies and offering up as sacrifices to their false gods and the sexual perversion that went on in the worship. God had waited and waited but when the wrath of God reaches its full measure, he will deal judgment. And his way to do that, he's chosen to use the nation of Israel as his instrument to bring about the judgment he has for the city. So the king is captured alive. He sees his whole army defeated. And Joshua, older man that he was, had that strong arm stretched out with a javelin. It reminds me of what Moses did. Remember with the Amalekites in Exodus 17? where they had to hold up his hand as the men of Israel took only the cattle and the spoil of the city as plunder, according to the words of the Lord. Uh, so clearly everyone at this point remembers what Achan had done 
in Jericho, so they were careful to only take the things the Lord said to take. The first fruits of really the spoils of war in Canaan had already gone to God. Remember, in Jericho, everything went to the treasury of the Lord. So God permitted this army now to claim the spoils at Ai, where the men were involved and fought in this battle. The king was hanged, a public humiliation display, as his body was hung in the air for all to see. This was usually done by impaling a person on a stake so that they would see the defeat. All others would know and see the defeat of this king. This hanging of the king showed defeat and would put fear in the hearts of the surrounding people groups. This was done according to Deuteronomy 21:22, where the death of a rebel was to be a humiliating death of hanging. And the one who is put to death by the shame of hanging on the tree, scripture says, is under the curse of God. And this was true of Jesus Christ when he hung on the cross. He hung from a tree as our substitute sin bearer. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. What all we should have that this very same captain of the Lord of hosts, you know, that we're reading about and seeing, he's the same, this is the same one who came now and was cursed in our place as he hung and bore the wrath of God in our place. Amazing. Well, according to the law in Deuteronomy 21, 23, it was necessary to remove a body uh, before the sun went down so the land would not be defiled by that. So Joshua made a heap of stones. He had done that over Achan, remember? We saw last week using his sin and judgment as a way to remind people of the consequences of what happens when you rebel against God. And now there's another heap of stones over this king who had been a continuously rebellious man against the God of Israel. Again, Israel was restored to God's favor, and the result was they won this victory Uh, which was such a great deal of strategy and planning, so unlike Jericho. But how wonderful it is that even after failure, what happened with Achan, God is is the God of second opportunities. Isn't that wonderful? And third, and fourth, and fifth. This is the truth about God that we need to grab hold of in our lives. When we failed in our roles as a friend, as a wife, as a mother, as a worker, as a ministry worker... That's not the end of our usefulness to God. We learn from our defeats. We repent. We hate our sin. We turn from it. And God forgives. And he restores us. And makes us useful again for his kingdom. So don't ever give up. Keep walking in obedience. Keeping short accounts with God. And accept his forgiveness. And then get back to doing well what God's called you to do. That brings us to this covenant renewal at Mount Ebal. And as we move to verse 30, we're suddenly, poof, in another location. uh, In the shadow of Mount Ebal near Shechem, hearing about the blessings and the curse that are all listed for us in the book of Deuteronomy 27, 4 through 8, uh, which gave very specific instructions that Moses spoke to Joshua. And this is what he said to do when you get into the land. 
So it shall be when you cross the Jordan, you shall set up on Mount Ebal these stones as I'm commanding you today, and you shall coat them with lime. Moreover, you shall build these an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not wield an iron tool on them. You shall build an altar of the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer it on it a burnt offering to the Lord your God. You shall sacrifice peace offerings and eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. You shall write on the stones all the words of this law very distinctly. So this was all commanded, you know, by Moses back in Deuteronomy. So we read in verses 30 and 31 that Joshua was committed to obeying God. He wasted no time obeying these specific instructions as he led the people. I mean, 2 million people on a 20-mile hike, you know, with little kids. Wow. Anyways, the next thing we see Joshua needed to do was build an altar to the Lord and everyone as I said was involved in this march and nothing is recorded about events that happened along the way nobody attacked them Ebal was to be was the to the north with an elevation of 3,085 feet and Gerizim was on the south 2,890 feet so that was the middle served as an amphitheater So these two mountains were right in the center geographically of Israel. From either peak, you could see much of the promised land. Joshua put an altar there of stones at Mount Ebal, as he had been told, and sacrifices were then offered to the Lord. So we've suddenly left this war scene and the hanging of the king of Ai and find ourselves in a worship service. As these cities in Canaan who had worshipped their false gods fell, Now this conquering nation of Israel will honor the true God by publicly worshiping him. This was a symbolic setting of the law, which was to rule over the people of Israel once they established themselves in the land of Canaan. They offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. Having agreed to follow the Lord back in Mount Sinai with Moses, they now reaffirmed that vow in the land of promise that they're finally in. So both The burnt offering and the peace offerings were voluntary offerings, according to Leviticus 1. The burnt offering was to signify complete dedication to the Lord and total surrender. And the fellowship offering was one of giving thanks, indicating peace with God, so the former offender could enjoy being in fellowship with him. So the altar was to be made of uncut stones, And Joshua set up the large stone pillars, and then he wrote, I mean, that's mind-bending, the law of Moses on them. Uh, We don't told how much was written. Likely it contained Exodus through Deuteronomy. These stones would have been whitewashed so the inscription could be easily seen and read. So far in our study of the book of Joshua, Joshua, we've seen four public monuments of heaps of stones. The first was after they crossed Jordan at Gilgal so they could point their kids and say, look how God delivered us and brought us over the flooded banks of the Jordan into the promised land. The second was over the grave and bodies of Achan and all his family. That was a remember what not to do thing. And then the third was at the entrance of Ai to remember God's faithfulness. And now we have the stones at Mount Ebal to serve as a reminder that their success as a nation is only going to continue if they obey the law of God. Before Joshua read the law to the people, they were divided in their places uh, in front of the two mountains, six tribes in front of each of the mountains. And 
they were to stand there at Mount Ebal would utter the curses that would occur if they were disobedient and the curses would come as a result of God chastising the people for disobedience spelled out clearly in Deuteronomy 27 and 8. The promises God had given concerning the land and fruitfulness, these were conditional promises based on obedience to the law. The covenant God made with Abraham was not conditional. It was God's faithfulness. But this keeping of the law was going to either bring success or failure in the land. The leaders of Israel stood around the ark in the middle of the valley as half the people stood on the slope and the other half on the other slope and the law was read. The tribe of tribes at Mount Abel said amen to the cursings and the tribes in Gerizim responded with amen to the blessings as they heard them read. So everyone was present for this big event. Men, women, and children, little children, all were to be listening. And everyone listened and affirmed the law of the Lord. God wanted them to understand that what happened to them in the land, as one author put it, was going to depend, as it were, on whether they were living on Mount Gerizim or Mount Ebal. So this was a big object lesson that the entire nation participated in. And as a nation, they reaffirmed the law while they're actually standing and listening uh, to the promises. The setting was a natural amphitheater, so everyone could hear the words being read. They listened, they agreed, demonstrating that they understood the law, they understood God would bless, they understood God would curse when they disobey. How very sad that this visual lesson that this whole generation from little to old saw would be soon forgotten, really, once Joshua dies and the other leaders it's forgotten. How thankful we should be if we've entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith in his finished work on the cross where he hung accursed for us. Thankfully, we are no longer under the law because, ladies, we've all broken every single law given to us in the law. But being under grace that God gives us does not mean that we can live how we choose and ignore the scriptures that we don't like to obey. We can never earn our salvation by any works that we do. We know all our righteousness God calls filthy rags. But when we call upon God to forgive us and trust Jesus as the only way to be in a right relationship with God the Father, then he makes us his child and he changes our hearts. So now we actually want to do what he tells us to do. We saw in the first chapter of this book the command, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. I hope some of you have memorized this one. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Our obedience to God's word makes a difference as to what will happen in this life. As well as in our future judgment for rewards at the Bema seat. Obedience is what's required for the people of Israel in order for them to have success. It's the same for us. Obedience what's required of every believer, of every age. Thankfully, when we fail, we too can rise up after a defeat and turn from our sin and disobedience, and he will give us further opportunities to do what's right and to obey. Like Joshua, we must be thankful for second opportunities, third and fourth, endless to walk in obedience we don't have to live defeated because of our past failures we can start over again today and obey his word it was critical for all of Israel to hear the truth of God's word and it's critical for us to con continually expose ourselves 
to the truth of Scripture and then to obey it. Like Israel, we must recognize the preeminence of the Lord in his word if we are to live a life that pleases him. So one put it this way, dear past, thank you for your lessons. Dear future, I'm ready. I don't know if I can say that, but hopefully I'm ready. And dear God, thank you for another opportunity. We only have to look at the patriarchs who blew it with their lives or look at David or Jonah or Mark or Peter. And be reminded that God gives his children second chances to walk in obedience after we've blown it. Satan would prefer us to fixate and live in the midst of our failures and sins. But Jesus died, that is the gospel, for our sins so that we can have victory and that we can be useful to him in his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your inspired word, and all of it is inspired. All of it is profitable for doctrine, for proof, and for correction, and to give us hope. And Lord, it's not always easy to find application in a passage like this. But I do thank you, Lord, that when we walk in obedience, you are patient, you love us, you forgive us when we confess our sins, you give us further opportunities to do it right. And I pray, Lord, for each of us to have hearts that really, truly want to obey you. And that if we have disobeyed you, that we would take the steps necessary to be right with you, to be right with the people we've hurt, and walk in fellowship, walk in obedience. Thank you for being cursed on the cross on behalf of us, Lord. Thank you for giving us such unbelievable grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, ladies.